Hebrews chapter 12 tonight. Hebrews chapter 12. When Brother Eric called me, we were in Kroger in Conway because Mary has to eat a gluten-free diet. And we were looking for gluten-free lasagna noodles. We have been on the lookout for those. We've stopped at multiple stores looking for those in central Arkansas as we made our way up to the Ozark Folk Center and we struck out. So uh, an Amazon purchase will be made soon, I'm sure, or online from Target or somewhere to get those. And um, you never know what you're going to be uh, looking for when you are on the road. For us, it was gluten-free lasagna noodles. So, but I, as I begin to think about what I would uh, use tonight, I had a parable in mind that I was going to uh, expound upon, but uh, listening to Brother Eric preach this morning, there was a word that popped out at me, and uh, he used it to make a minor point in his sermon uh, this morning, or, or minor in the grand scheme of the, the sermon, but that word just continued to stick with me, and so this afternoon as I uh, begin to pull everything together, that's the direction I think we'll go, and we'll find that in Hebrews chapter 12. I'll ask you to hang with me for just a little bit, because we won't get to that word right off. And as a matter of fact, we're reading in the New King James Version, you won't see that word at all. I'll have to tell you about it when we get there. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12, read with me, uh, beginning in verse 1. It says, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons, for what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Therefore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us, and seemed best to them, but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that your word provides us truths that will guide our hearts and guide our lives today just as much as it did when these original readers 
uh, read this letter. And Father, I just pray that you'd guide us tonight as we look at your word, help it to strengthen us, to encourage us as we face uh, the days ahead, and I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So we come to our text tonight here in uh, Hebrews chapter 12. Of course, uh, the writer uh, of the book of Hebrews almost said Paul, because that's who I believe wrote Hebrews, but it's an unsettled thing in theological circles. We don't know uh, for sure who wrote Hebrews, but the writer of the book of Hebrews has just finished up this great chapter, Hebrews chapter 11, that we often refer to as uh, the uh, heroes, you know, the hall of fame, the, the uh, hall of, the, the, let me get to my words here because I'm losing my words, the faith hall of fame. And, uh, you know, I'm tired. We got in late last night. And uh, so anyway, we'll get, we'll get through this together. But he's just finished up this faith hall of fame. It was in my notes if I'd have read them. But he gives this prolonged discussion about some of the Old Testament people that we read about. He tells us about Abel as we look there through chapter 11 and the faith of Abel. We find out about the faith of Abraham and of Sarah and of Moses. And, and uh, I love uh, when we get over here to uh, chapter 11 and verse 32, and he says, And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and of David and Samuel and, and, and the prophets through, and he goes on and on. At verse 35, women received uh, their, their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance. They might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mocking and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. And he goes on and on. There's all these people. That the writer of Hebrews says, I just wish I had time to tell you about all these great folks who came before you about all these heroes of the faith. And he says there in verse 39, verses 39 and 40, just kind of the Jeremy translation here, they received salvation because they had faith in the promise of God, even though they never saw the promise of God come to fruition. He says, but we've seen it come to fruition. And that's in the person of Jesus Christ. And so we get to chapter 12, verse 1, and he says, therefore. Well, that's what it's there for. Because of all, he's, he's pointing us back to all those heroes of the faith, all those in the faith hall of fame, all those he wished he had more time to tell us about, and how they had faith, even though they never saw the promise come to fruition. And he's, that's where we start here, brings us to our text tonight. In light of all that that he's talked about in chapter 11, he says we have a goal. In light of everything we've learned, he says since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witness, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us Christians the writer says, have a goal. You say, I don't know. I don't know what God's will for me is. I don't know what I'm supposed to do with my life. We can start here. Run with endurance the race that's set before you. That's what he says. What do we know about races? This race is the Christian life. This race is seeking to live our life in a way that pleases 
Jesus Christ, seeking to be Christ-like. What do we know about races? Well, if you ever go to the races, I'm not telling, I hope you don't go to the races. You know, we're Baptist, not supposed to do that. But you go up here to a track meet at the school. I'm talking about the horse races, you know. Um, but you go to a track meet at the school or go to somewhere like that. And, and uh, what are the participants doing? You know, after they, they fire the starting shot or whatever they do, what, the ones who are actually in the race shouldn't be standing still, should they? They ought to be moving, and they ought to be moving in a certain direction. That's towards the finish line. Wherever that is, they ought to be moving towards the finish line as quickly as possible. And that's the, the connotation we get here uh, from the writer of the book of Hebrews when he says we ought to be running with endurance the race that's set before us. We ought to be moving towards the goal. There is no standing still in the life of a Christian. We ought to be moving towards the goal. What's the goal? The goal is to be like Jesus. One of my favorite verses that, there's, of course, there's a lot of verses throughout the New Testament that tell us this, but 1 John 3, 2, John writes, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be like, but we know that when he's revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. John said, we don't know exactly what we're going to look like, but when we come face to face with Jesus, we're going to look just like him. And that ought to be the goal that we're running for while we're here on earth. Becoming like Jesus requires two things. The, writers of the, the writer of the Hebrews says here, he says, first, you've got to get rid of the junk. He says, lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Using a lot of athletic terms here. People understood that in that day. I think most people understand that in our day, even if we don't participate. Like, if you're like me, I don't participate in athletics, you know. I, um, people ask me, say, well, you're tall. What sport do you play? I say, putt-putt golf, you know. Don't play it near as often as I'd like to, you know. But um, that's, I don't know that I've really got the skill for that. But I don't, may not have the patience for that. But, you know, I don't have an athletic bone in my body, but I understand this. If you're going to go run a race, you're not going to run the race holding on to some weights. Now, you may go up here and people watch. Anybody like to people watch? I do sometimes. Now, I don't do this. This would just be creepy. But uh, you could go up here probably to the farm road at SAU and just watch folks for a little while. I've been driving down University Street, and I've seen ladies walking with those weights in their hands, you know. They're trying to build a little endurance as they walk. But if you're running a race, you wouldn't be carrying weights around with you. You want to lighten your load as much as you can in an effort to uh, free yourself up to attempt to win. Well, he's saying here, we can't run the Christian race. We can't live our life if we're carrying all the weights of the world, the weight of our sin and, and all. you got to put off all this. And there's so many texts, so many verses in the New Testament that tell us this. Colossians 3.8. Uh, but now you yourselves are to put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds. In Ephesians 4, uh, Paul says we're to take off the old man and put on the new man. He's probably skinnier, all right? 
All the junk's gone. 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, verses 1 and 2. We've covered this in my Sunday school class recently. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking as newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. We've got, got to get rid of the junk out of our lives, the junk out of our hearts, so that the word of God, as we drink it like a newborn baby drinks milk, is not, uh, or it can absorb its absorption is not inhibited by the junk that's in our lives. Run, get rid of the junk before you run. And then he says, run with endurance. What do we know with endurance, about endurance? Endurance increases the more you do something. The more you do something, the more often you do something, your endurance increases. I remember when we lived in town, uh, I used to walk the farm road some. You know, before I got married, you know, 40 or 50 pounds ago, I walked it a lot, sometimes twice a day. Sometimes I'd make two laps around it. But I remember when I first started walking the farm road, this is before even all the trail was there. I'd get halfway down one side of it, and I'd be panting so hard. I said, I ain't going to make it. I better turn around, you know. And I'd have to push myself to keep going. But after a while, I'm making two laps. My endurance is building. What he's telling us is the more we walk with Jesus, the farther we can go. The more we walk with Jesus, the more endurance we build. As we walk uh, through life with Jesus and as we run the race he set before us, uh, we ought to see if our endurance is growing. We ought to check ourselves from time to time. Am I walking further with Jesus than I used to? Am I trusting him more than I used to? Do things throw me off track in my Christian walk as easily as they used to? Does sin tangle me up as quickly as it used to? We're never perfect until we're face to face with him. We'll fall off the wagon from time to time, but we ought to be growing in our endurance every day, and we can check that with just a little spiritual self-checkup. So we know we've got a goal. The second point I want to point out to you this evening is that we have inspiration to reach the goal. There at the beginning of verse 1, he says, Therefore, uh, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Now, this cloud of witnesses, I already told you, I mentioned earlier how the writer of Hebrews, he's given them this big, long list of all these Old Testament heroes, these, these heroes, especially of the Jewish faith. And and uh, boy, they had a lot in common with these folks. They had a, a common national heritage because the book of Hebrews is written to primary, you know, Hebrew Christians, which is why it's called Hebrews. So these are former, uh, former Jews who have converted to Christianity, and they have a common national heritage with these heroes. Uh, they knew that you know, uh, Moses had led their ancestors out of Egypt. They, they knew how their ancestors had elevated David uh, to such high esteem And I think there's all great. But I don't think I connect with that as well as they did. Maybe you don't, maybe you do, but I don't have a Jewish background. Now, I love the stories of what God did through these people, but I think the Jewish people saw it in a way that we can't even begin to comprehend it. 
But you know, God's given us our own cloud of witnesses to encourage us. I really believe that. This afternoon, I pulled out my church directory. It's from 2017, and yeah, we need to make a new one, but this company went out of business, and I found one company that does them, and they won't return my phone calls. So anyway, I don't beg people to take my money. But I pulled out the church directory, and I just got to looking through it. And I had a sticky note. I found 22 people whose pictures are in this book who are not with us anymore. 22 people who have joined that cloud of witnesses. And I think about just our recent weeks and the ones we've lost. And I think about the fact that these 22 is not all of them because there's folks who we've lost from our church family who joined after this book was made. Think about Angie Henry. Think about my granny. And I lose count. I can't remember them all off the top of my head, but I counted 22 just in that book. And I think about, I think about the way the writer to the Hebrews you know, said that this cloud of witnesses, essentially what he's saying is they're to be their inspiration for living the Christian life. And so I think about people like Miss Ruth, you know, who, and I don't mean this as a slight to anybody in this room, but there was nobody nicer to, and more loving to, my, to Mary and I to my family than Miss Ruth. You all love us. She took it to another level. I think about folks like... Uh, Mr. Jimmy Wynn, what an impact he left on this church physically. Think about what an impact he left on me. You know, the only reason I went to seminary when I did is because of Jimmy Wynn. Because he'd come in after I'd preached one Sunday and said, we got to give him a pay raise or he's going to leave. And I told Brother Eric, I'm not going anywhere. I don't need any more money. I don't want another pay raise. And so Mr. Jimmy said, we got to pay for his seminary then. So I took it, and I went. I would have eventually gone. Money wasn't the reason I wasn't going. I just kept coming up with excuses. And Mr. Jimmy took that away, and I went to seminary. And then as I was getting ready to finish, he said, and when are you going to get your doctorate? I said, I'm not. I don't see the point in it. I don't want one. I have no desire to write a dissertation. I'm done with school. And every time I saw Jimmy win, he'd say, when are you going to start your doctorate? I said, not. He said, you, 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 going, you need to. You're going to do it. And he encouraged me. And you know, nine weeks from today or sooner, I'll be finished. You know, because I attribute to Jimmy Wynn more than anybody else. Think about Gail Hendricks and Miss Louise wasn't a bigger cheerleader for our kids in this church than Louise Hendricks. She loved that Awana program. And when we were cleaning out some of the rooms several weeks ago, taking all the Awana stuff out, her name badge was hanging there in one of the rooms with a note she had written to the kids, and they still had it back there because she made such a big impact on so many of those children. And 
Time prohibits us from going on and on and to talk about all this list of people and the impact they've made on our lives. But God knows it all, and what a cloud of witnesses. And this doesn't even begin to touch. all. This is just since 2017. And we think about these people and all they did, and it ought to inspire us to press on. Since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, we ought to run with endurance. It's not that we're trying to keep up with them, but it's that they set such an example for us that we ought to try to follow along. There's no doubt that they left some big shoes to fill, and their memories ought to inspire us to run that race. But there's a greater inspiration listed here in verse 2. He says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. He says, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, for consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. The writer of Hebrews makes it clear there that our fight against sin doesn't compare to his fight against sin. He endured the cross. And he says you hadn't had to bleed yet. We ought to look to Jesus, and it ought to, as he says here, it ought to encourage us. Look to Jesus, lest we become weary and discouraged. Just what Jesus did for us, knowing all he did for us, ought to inspire us to run with all we've got the race that he set before us. He died for us. The least we can do is live for him. One last point, and I'm done tonight. And that's something that we all know, uh, some of us may, may be uh, more painfully so than others, but that's living for Jesus in this world isn't easy. Living for Jesus in this world isn't easy. It brings us full circle to this morning and the word that I told you I heard. Brother Eric walked us through the story of the birth of Samson. He pointed out a detail The blessings of God come with great responsibility on our part, he said. I went back and listened to some of that just to make sure I got everything right that he said. But he looked at Judges chapter 13, verse 4, that says, Now therefore, this is the angel of the Lord talking to the mother of Samson, Now therefore, please be careful not to drink wine or similar drink and not to eat anything unclean. Brother Eric summed that up like this. God's blessings require a disciplined and a dedicated lifestyle. Running the race that's set before us requires discipline and a dedicated lifestyle. That is hard. It was hard in that day. It's hard today. I won't say it's harder today, but it's hard today. In a world of social media, 
uh, when everybody's trying to keep up with other people, in a world where you are ridiculed for your faith uh, openly and with such hostility, uh, like say in the media and on social media, it's hard to live a disciplined and a dedicated lifestyle. Then we come back over here to Hebrews chapter 12 and, well, just like Brother Eric was talking about discipline this morning, we find discipline right here a bunch of times, I think nine times in eight verses. And you say, I don't see it. Well, the word here in the New King James Version is chastening. Also can be translated disciplined. Um, verses 5 through 11 deal with God disciplining his children. And for the sake of time, we won't work through that line by line. But John MacArthur says that God has three goals in discipline in his children. Retribution, prevention, and education. I think he puts a lot of emphasis on that last part, education. But they all lead to making us more mature in our faith. Verse 11, I'm going to read it from the New International Version because I just like the way it says it. It says, no discipline seems pleasant at the time. And I'd just stop and say, ain't that right? No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. I told somebody the other day that I'm not trying to raise a good kid, to which they raised their eyebrows. And I said, I'm trying to raise a good adult. You know, that's, that, that ought to be our end goal with our children, that we're trying to raise someone who will be a good, productive citizen in society. Now, there'll be a good kid along the way, but my goal is to raise a good adult. That's the purpose for any discipline that I impose upon Truett is that he'll be a good man when he grows up. And I believe the same is true of God. He's not trying to raise a bunch of good baby Christians. He's really not. He wants us to grow, and sometimes, maybe oftentimes, discipline is a part of that process, corrective discipline. Sometimes it's easier for him to get our attention with discipline than it is a blessing. But see, there's something else. If we read on a few more verses than what I read earlier, it says there in verse 12, therefore strengthen the hands which hang down. Now he's talking, he's saying, now therefore you strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight the paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated but rather healed. You pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. You see, there's discipline that comes from God, but then he also expects us to have self-discipline. Self-discipline. Self-discipline is probably the hardest of anything we're asked to do because self-discipline can be just as unpleasant as the discipline that God sends our way. But it has the same result. It yields a harvest of righteousness. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, 7 through 8, exercise yourself towards godliness. For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that is now and of that which is to come. We have a goal, and that goal is to be more like Jesus, be more like Jesus today than we were yesterday. That ought to be our goal every day. How can I be more like Jesus today than I was yesterday? We have an inspiration. We have all those who have modeled the path of Jesus for us.
who are cheering us on as we seek to do it every day. We have the example of Jesus Christ who bore the cross for us. And we have a promise. And that promise is the peaceable fruit of righteousness for those who yield to the discipline of Jesus and practice self-discipline along the way. It may be very hard, but it's worth it to live a disciplined and a dedicated lifestyle for Jesus. It may be hard, but let's do that as we go about our week this week, all right? Anything before we dismiss?